This is the Your Money Hour podcast. I am your host, Dakota Grady. Welcome to the show, everybody. Thank you for joining us. And I have a guest as usual. So before we get started, though, if you need help with your personal finances, you're struggling, this is the holiday season. People may be stressed out by trying to get gifts for their kids or their friends or families, and they may be struggling financially. If you need help with your personal finances, contact me today at info at dakotagrady.com. Also, check out my website at dakotagrady.com for resources that can help you maximize your money. And if you are a nurse practitioner who has a business, I'm here to help you as well with your accounting and taxes so that you can focus on client care. The, the website is theatdoc.com. That's theatdoc.com. Today's guest is Toya Moore of In Progress Consulting in Greenville, South Carolina. So I wanted to invite her to the show. She actually is a client of mine as well. So without further ado, Toya, welcome to the show. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing fine. How about you? I am doing great. So thank you for being a guest on the show. Tell about about who you are and what you do. Well, my name is Toya Moore. I'm originally from um, Virginia. I spent a few years in the military, retired in the upstate of South Carolina, and now I have my own coaching and consulting firm. And what I do is health and wellness and lifestyle management coaching. So imagine someone who's stuck kind of in a rut, whether it's in their careers, their health and fitness, spirituality, and I kind of help them, you know, release some of the blocks that they have to move to whatever their next level is. So it's um, short-term solutions focus um, coaching to help them get to their next level. How did you get into the coaching aspect of your business? Well, I was when I was in the military, I was a drug and alcohol counselor and I worked in the mental health field. And I realized very quickly that I didn't want to do counseling, long-term counseling as hashtag too much, but I wanted to stay in the arena of serving people and teaching people stress and anger management, um, I really enjoy um, encouraging and motivating coaching, really, you know, the, the idea of what a coach is. We think of a sports team and, and helping people, well, you know, as the financial, as my financial coach, you know, the idea of getting people excited and motivated and keeping them encouraged. That's always been a big deal for me, especially in the black community. I feel like we don't pay as much attention as we could to mental health education, mental health care, and all the things that it can impact. So I wanted to make sure that I made myself and my skill set and my knowledge of mental health available to those who needed it the most. So talk about the mental health in the black community. Like, I know it's, it's in my family as well. And growing up, one of my uncles had mental health issues, but they had a story that said that he had some, ate some muscadimes and after that he I guess went crazy per se, but I'm like, I don't think that's the truth. I think that's like a, something that we didn't really understand mental health. Right. So talk about that, please. So let's blame it on the muscadines. Okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, in the black community, I don't even know where the stigma came from, but I realized at a very young age that we just didn't talk about mental health. We didn't talk about you know, um, that crazy uncle or that auntie who had um, a breakdown. Um, we never talked about that. It wasn't until I became a mental health technician, I started kind of unpacking my own issues. And I was like, wait a minute, my family got some, we got some stuff going on and ain't nobody talking about it. You know, we, we as a community, I think we tend to mask 
the, the issues that we have with drinking and, you know, sexual promiscuity and, you know, um, drugs um, and all different kinds of, of ways to shift the, 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 the weight of whatever's going on off of us personally into something else that we have a culture of um, across the board, a culture of what they call maladaptive behavior, meaning we ain't got our stuff together. Um, and some of us do, right? Some of us are on it, but a good majority, I think, um, struggle with the idea of something's wrong with me. Cause you know, growing up, now tell me if your family's like this, growing up, if y'all had any issues, keep your mouth shut. What happens in our house, stay in our house. I don't want nobody knowing our business. You know, and and women are supposed to behave a certain way. Men are supposed to behave a certain way. Children are supposed to be in a certain role. But in those roles, it really doesn't give us the opportunity to grow and to develop and more importantly, to heal. So I feel like the black community, you know, we've made some strides and, and there are lots and lots of people who are helpers, who are, are wanting to help us grow and heal. But there's so many layers to to us as a community and as a culture that we need as much as we can. So my goal in recognizing kind of mental health issues, I have an older brother who has mental health issues um, and an uncle and an auntie and, and a lot of people and recognizing that in myself and in my family, I wanted to kind of spread the wealth. So that's really how um, it really came to be very important for me, even to this day, to help people on a, a basic level and on a, a macro, micro and a micro level to, to know and understand why our community and the community at large needs it significantly. So I've heard that mental illness, which is, I guess particularly mental illness coming from the father's side. If it's a mother and a, and a father and a mother, have children and a child that has ADHD or some kind of mental disability, it comes from the father's side. How true is that in terms of now, like you genetics? You get into the science of it now. Right. The science ain't my thing. What I can tell you is you can look at, um, I, I do know that mental health is hereditary. Mental health concerns are hereditary. Um, and I can say that if you have a parent, mother or father, who has a history of alcoholism, drug addiction, um, major depression, anxiety, there's a really good chance that one of the children are going to develop some of those symptoms. Some of it might be biological, right? It might be your DNA. And some of it might be um, learned behavior. So if you see your mom or your dad or somebody who raised you in your family always getting worked up and, and, and um, anxious about something, then guess what the child is going to do? They're going to learn, oh, okay, the way I deal with stressful situations is to get anxious or the way I deal with when I'm sad is to eat to uh, eat a lot. Um, so I don't know the science behind it. You don't give me a PSA and false stats. People going to be calling me telling me something, who told you that you could talk about, but I'm not going to say that, but I will say um, studies have shown that if there is prevalence of any kind of mental condition on in your family, there's a very good chance that the child will develop some of those symptoms either through biological DNA or just observing the behavior in your nuclear family. That makes sense. In terms of someone actually not learning it, but say if two parents have a child and both parents are, they don't have mental illness, can that person learn how to take, can they develop it through situational things? So trauma, for example, like, you know, black folks, we were enslaved, our ancestors, some, some people, I, I may not be black. If I go back to my, my history, I may be black, but my ancestors may not be 
like from Africa because I'm light skinned. <laughs> but like, can someone actually like have a situation that's trauma that's traumatic that could cause them to be mental ill, or is that something that has to be learned, or either genetics? Well, I think it's really all of the above. An interesting side note, you know, I did an ancestry test and I paid $300 for them people to tell me that on my mama's side of the family, there's a 99% chance that there is white people. <laughs> I said, well, I didn't have to pay $300 to know that all the black people in the United States have some European ancestry in their DNA. Well, I was 95 hot, but anyway, um, <laughs> I was hot. But I think to answer your question, it's um, very possible for us as a culture to have trauma and mental health illness that's not directly related to your family. If you look at society as a whole, let's talk about learning about the, the transatlantic slave trade, right? Just by reading and knowing about how our ancestors had to survive can cause some people to feel some kind of way. Um, having to deal with microaggressions outside of the home. So you could you could live in the Huxtable household, but when you go outside and you have to deal with, with microaggressions, whether that's for race, you know, as a black woman, there's things as a, a woman that I've had to deal with that could potentially cause trauma or um, depression or anxiety um, in the community, you know, the neighborhood that you live in. Um, going to school so yeah there's tons and tons of things that can contribute to us as an individual a family a neighborhood and a bigger community having mental health issues so i, I think that we have to be careful to just say oh well my mom and my daddy didn't have a breakdown or my daddy not an alcoholic or you know my mom is not depressed so i should be fine when in actuality there's multiple things that are going on around us every day that shape and mold how we react to the world it's just a matter of what how do we deal with that yeah my brother who is mental ill he has schizophrenia and bipolar so i mean both my parents they were normal people i guess you say normal quote unquote but i don't know i mean they they had seven kids so that's trauma right there <laughs> your mama not normal let me tell you something she <laughs> So talk, 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 talk about mental illness, how last year it blew up. Like mental illness is something that's prevalent now because of what happened to Georgia Floyd. Like it just blew up in the, in the community. So talk about that, how prevalent it is now and why have we ignored it? So I don't really think it blew up because of that. It's always been there. You know, when I moved to South Carolina, I told a friend of mine, like there's a, they, a very subtle um, energy in this area that I don't think people understand unless you come from someplace else and come here because we don't talk about race. We we act like this is a, a you know utopia. People who move to this area, but really we have our issues and concerns. So I think there's always been an underlying mental health issue within our community. If I was a betting woman, I would say if you guys and your family sat down and really talked about it, someone in your family will have shown symptoms of whatever the diagnosis that one of your brothers has. It's just we didn't talk about it. So there was right. no vocabulary for us to say schizophrenic or manic depressive disorder. Um, uh, but we've always had mental illness. It's always been a thing. It's just for black people, 
especially those who are trying to survive and and trying to just maintain we don't have time to talk about mental illness it's you know you need to smoke a cigarette drink get you a drink you know sit down somewhere and let's get food on the table let's get these these fed we don't have time for that so i think when the pandemic happened and george floyd happened i think that was just the perfect storm for us to shine a spotlight on an area that as a black community we don't really talk about as much now i will say this well let me go back i think um you remember the 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 rodney king case right so that was the first time i think mental health issues in the black community started to have um more of a um spotlight on it because people started saying we're tired of it we're angry we're sad um and then of course fast forward to the million man march and then you know 20 years later we had another million man march talking about the same stuff we was talking about in the 90s and you know i think we have always been sad and depressed and anxious and nervous and had all these issues um, we just haven't been given the opportunity to, to show it as a safe space. And, you know, my degree, my undergrad is in social psychology and it's the study of, you know, mental health and, and social issues and, and how those two things combine. And it's very fascinating to watch people and, and especially black people and how we try to, to navigate those things. So George Floyd was just one of many things, you know, I can go back and list about 12, you know, black men and women who died at the hands of law enforcement questionably that it was just kind of an undercurrent of, okay, something is about to, to blow up. We can only deal with so much, but if you add that on top of being in a pandemic, on top of maybe being physically or emotionally abused, on top of not having food security or, or you know, not having the money to pay your rent or to survive, then that's just the perfect storm of everything to fall apart. It's just there was nowhere for us to go, right? Before we could, you know, go to the club, we could go do whatever and pretend like it didn't happen. We was on lockdown, so I had no choice but to show my entire hind parts and tell you that I'm having a hard time. It's true. It's true. I mean, just basically magnify what was already there, brought yeah. it to light. It was hidden in our faces, but the big elephant was in the room. We just ignored it in a sense. Is that fair to say? Well, I, I think not only did we ignore it, but we pushed it away. Like it was there and we saw it, you know, but if you came to me and said, you know what, I'm having a real hard time. How often as a black man where you ever sat down and said you know what Dakota it's okay for you to be sad I want you to cry you know and get all those emotions out you know it's okay for you to be angry it's okay for you to have these emotions you know as a black man I don't know how many brothers have had that opportunity or that conversation with other men to say it's okay to show their emotions I don't know as a black woman as a single woman myself um I don't have time to sit down and talk about my feelings because, you know, my feelings ain't going to pay the mortgage, right? <laughs> my feelings right. ain't going to get my kid to school today. So I, I think that it's always been there. I think that we, and I will blame it on the systems that have been in place for over 400 years to keep, you know, black and brown people oppressed. We just haven't had time, you know, after slavery ended, when did we have time to really deal with the trauma of enslavement? 
we had to get out there and figure out how we were going to make our our families survive, continue to survive. Um, and so then we had, you know, um, um, the Jim Crow era. So by the time we got to the point to where we are okay, we're still being treated a certain kind of way, marginalized. So where in the 400 year history of Black people, not to mention indigenous people, not to mention, you know, any other marginalized cultures, where have we had the opportunity to really stop and identify what sadness is and what that looks like? And then, okay, now that I know that I'm sad, what do I do to clear up this sadness so that I can be productive? That I don't remember a time where that was taught to me to be okay until I went into the mental health field. Mm, it's a lot, it's a lot of impact right there. We can do how the whole segment on just the history of African-Americans, black folks. So in terms of responsibility, so we've been, well, our culture has been enslaved, right? But at what point do we say, all right, we've been enslaved, I've grieved. When do we take responsibility for our own lives and say, I want to change this thing and make it better? You better, okay, you trying to go, okay. You know, that's a really interesting question. It's almost like which came first, the chicken or the egg, right? So um, can I take responsibility if the systems and the people who create the systems haven't taken responsibility? Hmm. At what point do that's I mean that and so if I say I take responsibility for myself and I'm going to therapy and I'm doing all the things, but every time I go somewhere, you know, someone treats me other than because of the way I look, then does that then take away from the work that I'm doing on myself? So how is it that we expect black people to take responsibility when the systems are still in place to keep us oppressed and to keep us kind of othered? Um, how can I take responsibility if there's still things out there that are gonna push me back to that that one particular point? And if the conversation isn't even able to be had, you know, and I know you've seen over the past year or two where the race conversation comes up and, you know, all, all of a sudden all lives matter and all of a sudden I don't see color and all of a sudden. So uh, how can I take responsibility for myself if every time I go outside, somebody's throwing it in my face that black people or women or whatever aren't enough? Mm. Good point. I mean, like for me, I grew up in a low income neighborhood. I am a black guy, you know, light skin. And even within our culture, it's messy because people thought that I was better than them because I'm light skinned. I'm like, no, I'm not better than you because I'm light skinned. I got some probably white folks in my family, but I'm not better than you. So it's messy. And anyway, yeah. Well, I that's a whole, listen, that, that's a whole thing in the black community. And that actually contributes to mental health issues. So imagine how many, you know, people who are blackity black black who just so happen to be lightly melanated who get teased and picked on because they have light eyes or light skin or you know a certain color hair you know my oldest is about your complexion um the texture of their hair is is not like mine you know mine is we breaking combs up here with my hair you know my oldest child is not like that and um their whole life they've i've heard comments towards me and towards them about their complexion. You know, I can't tell you how many times people ask me when they were a baby, oh, whose baby do you have? What is my baby? What you talking about? <laughs> Who baby is this? Or is her dad white? 
First of all, what gives you the right to ask me that question? Second of all, no. And third of all, WTF? What is, like, why is that even an issue? So as a child growing up, you know, lightly melanated, there's some struggles that that people have that contribute to their, you know, mental well-being. And on the flip side of that, if you grow up, you know, heavily melanated, you know, with a little bit more chocolate in your skin, then that's a whole nother thing, right? Because people get treated a certain way. So it wasn't until I was in my 20s that I stopped calling myself dark skin because I got picked on for my color and I got picked on for my features. You know what I'm saying? So imagine, if you will, we already have the, the overview of, you know, the transatlantic slave trade and all that kind of stuff kind of lingering as a culture. And within our own community, if you're too light or you're too dark, and that's constantly a thing. So it's, it's complicated, but that all contributes to how we show up today. So you walk into a space and you're wondering, are people looking at me because I'm light or because I'm dark? Are people talking about me a certain kind of way? Well, that leads to um, not being settled, not being at ease with yourself, which could contribute to mental health issues that you have that are underlying. And that's why it's important to really love yourself because you can't control what people say about you or anything. Like they can do things to you, but it's how you respond to it, in my opinion. Being proactive because, again, I grew up in a hood, low income, and I'm not where I want to be, but I'm not in the hood anymore. I'm not, although I grew up in the hood, the hood is not where I remain. Mentally, I want to get out of out of the neighborhood where I lived and better myself. Right. That's what I mean, I could have sold drugs. I could have gone to jail. I could have shot and killed some people. I, I mean, I could have done a lot of things, but it's about choices. I, was, I mean, I was marginalized. My mom and dad was on food stamps. So I think the big thing is about how you respond to things. I mean, again, I haven't done my whole research in terms of where I've been from, but I am considered a black man, an African-American man. And there were times people, I mean, even now, I go to the store and I feel like people watch me. I'm like, really? Like, it's 2021, you watching me? Now I got my daughter with me. I'm like, come on, like, just get over yourself. Like, I'm a black man, I'm here, I'm gonna be here. I'm not going anywhere. Just get, just live your life, man. So. I, you know, one of the things that I think is interesting, if we were to look at, you know, your your family, right, growing up in an underserved community, you know, un, at or below the poverty level, um, all of y'all probably have different types of issues, right? There's probably some who are still in that kind of hood mentality, who are, you know, still in them streets and they can't get away from it. There are probably some who are like, forget that, I want to go out there. So of the seven of you, you know, it might be hard to, you know, say, hey, you get over it, love yourself and and, and change your, your environment because not everybody's built that way, you know? And if you're, if, if at any point there's any kind of physical, sexual, emotional abuse, mm. then that kind of locks you in at that age. So if you're abused at the age of four or five years old, mm-hmm. whether it's physical, emotional, sexual, then your emotional growth gets stunted. So why is that person still thinking and acting and behaving like they are impoverished or you know whatever the case may be well they weren't able to process remember we talked earlier about being able to heal from stuff well first off how many times has there been in in a a family situation have you heard about oh so and so touched this person this boy Mm -hmm. or this girl or Mm -hmm. so and so beat their wife or so and so is an alcoholic but they still come to all the family reunions they still come to all of the gatherings 
and I'm supposed to look at you and hug you and smile. Right. At what point can I heal from that? So if I haven't been able to kind of grow beyond all of those traumas, then it's going to be hard for me to love myself and get over it and, and to, to better myself. We're going to be stuck in certain patterns of behavior. And I know you see that as a financial coach and, and you and I have talked about it with my own personal issues mm -hmm. around money. You know, it's not that I'm not smart. It's not that I don't want to do better. It's there's certain things around which I just learned financial trauma is a thing, certain things around money that are embedded in me that are hard to move from because I haven't healed from the trauma around that money situation, which stemmed from poverty, which stemmed from my mom who, you know, had issues when she was growing up, which stemmed from, you know what I'm saying? So it goes back and back and back. So right. it's so much right. more complicated than, you know, get over it or move on or love yourself. Um, and I think that's why mental health education and, you know, social workers and psychologists and psychiatrists, especially those that look like you and me, are important to help us dig through all of that so that we can get to a point to where I don't care if you looking at me because I'm in the store, you know, I can buy a hundred of these things. I'm not going to steal your stuff. I'm not going to steal it. <laughs> but we got to get to that point, right? <laughs> all right. Oh, so, am I not supposed to see ass on this thing? I don't know. <laughs> No, but it's all good. <laughs> okay. Oops, so, sorry, y'all. So, so, before we close, you do yoga as well. How can yoga help people? And then you had a floor. Um, well, I'm glad you asked the question about yoga because I've, I've been doing yoga for a long time, about 10, 11 years, and it was not popular at all especially amongst, you know, people of color, black people. Now though, because some people might feel like mental health, um, traditional mental health is out of their reach, not accessible or still stigmatized. It's an easy transition to do some stretching and some mindfulness and things like that. So I think yoga is really a gateway. You know, how people say a gateway drug, marijuana is a gateway drug. You know, yoga is a gateway therapeutic method for people to get to, you know, healing themselves around mental wellness. Um, the idea of yoga, the word yoga means to join, right? Or to come together. So a lot of people, especially in this area, are like, oh, you know, it's it's religious or, you know, you're, you're worshiping false idols or whatever, and really has nothing to do with that. And that's a whole nother thing that I'll talk about separately on, an, on another podcast if you invite me back. Um, but a lot of the things that I learned as a mental health technician and as a drug and alcohol counselor, as far as breathing, as far as being mindful, as far as, you know, I'm um, going out into nature are things that are taught um, under the practices of yoga. So yoga is not just moving your body, although that's a big component, you know, being able to stretch and move. There's very... Um, um, very intentional ways of existing to make sure that you can heal and move beyond kind of a stuck state of mind. Mm. So in about a minute, what could you close with to give the audience some encouragement? Oh, what can I close with? Well, I think what I would close with is recognize that you're not alone. I think um, in dealing with my financial trauma and the issues I have around money, it was fascinating to me when I admitted it to, to hear other people say, yes, I'm having those same problems. I'm living paycheck to paycheck. I don't have this money. So you're not alone, first and foremost. Second of all, there are people out there who are designed to help serve whatever the issue is that you have. So, you know, in your case, you being a financial coach, you know, in my case, being a wellness and lifestyle management coach, um, there's 
um, professionals, you know, social workers, psychiatrists, there, there, you can find somebody to help you and you have a community, you know, remember that you have a community and remember that things can, can always be better. Um, as long as we remember who we are and whose we are and how we show up in the world, I think that it's important for us to not get caught up in where we are, but give ourselves the opportunity to grow and expand by reaching out to ask for help. There's so much more I can say. Cool. By the way, before you cut me off, I want to say I saw that picture of you um, that you posted on the interwebs with your little braids hanging down. I said, oh, Lord. <laughs> That's me. It was so cute. Thank you. So, real quick, how can people find out about you on social media and your website? So, listen, my Facebook page got hacked. My Facebook page got hacked and my business page got hacked. So, protect your, your stuff. And that's a whole different thing. Um, they charged $250 in ads because I had my my paypal connected anyway so um you can find me on facebook is toya y Moore, my um, facebook page in progress consulting um and then you can also go to my webpage, which is um inprogressconsulting.com which is under construction or you can just reach out to dakota because he got all my he know all my business y'all he got all my information and he can put you in contact with me toya thank you for your time and thank you for joining me on the your money our podcast thank you i appreciate it <laughs>